you would please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we are continuing this morning in our Advent sermon series called Rejoice, looking at the music of Christmas, looking at the songs that Luke records for us in his gospel and the events that surround Christ's birth. Uh, So far, we looked a few weeks ago at the praises of the Virgin Mary as the good news of Christmas came to her. And then last week, we looked at the praises of an old priest named Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Today, we'll get a sneak peek into the heavenly realm as the shepherds see the myriads upon myriads, the the thousands upon thousands, the, the troops and troops The multitude of the heavenly host of heaven singing praises to God. Let's now read about these amazing events and learn how the angels can teach us how to rejoice and praise God at the good news of Christmas. Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 8 through 14. Hear now the reading of God's word. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we pray that your Holy Scripture would govern every part of our lives, that the Word would help us as we live our lives for your glory. We pray that your Word would help us now that so that we would adorn your doctrine in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we think. We pray this in the name of the Savior who was born, Christ the Lord. Amen. I'd like for you to imagine with me for a moment, if you will, that you're a news reporter. And your job as a news reporter is to cover stories about NASA and the latest Artemis mission. You're thrilled with this new assignment that you've been given and you can't wait to tell the world how we're going back to the moon and beyond, maybe even to Mars. As you begin your reporting job, your editor eases you into the position by not overwhelming you with too many difficult reporting jobs. And now that you've been reporting for a few months, finally blast off. Artemis 1 finally launches and you get to start doing some real reporting. And your boss calls you into his office and you just know he's about to give you a huge assignment to cover the success of the mission. 
But instead of some big grand assignment that you've been dreaming of since the day you started covering these type of stories as a reporter, your boss says, hey, I'd like you to travel to Louisiana and go to the factory and interview the workers who fabricated and welded the rocket that we just launched to the moon. (laughs) How would you feel about that assignment? (laughs) Maybe not the reason that you'd signed up to be a, a NASA reporter. Now, nothing against welders. Those guys do a great job, great job, okay? And I was told by one of our esteemed engineers after the first service, you know you're always going to get a comment when you use an illustration like this, right? That as we speak, the rocket is landing in the Pacific, I think, somewhere this morning. So we're going to see how good that welding job held up. I can't help but think that something like this happened in the Christmas story when Luke went to write about these accounts and interview some of the first eyewitnesses. I think this is one of the more fascinating scenes that we find in the events around Christ's birth. I've been telling you that one of the things that I've been trying to pay particularly close to this Advent season and ponder is how Luke seems to have been a very meticulous historian, especially as he researched the events that surrounded Christ's birth and as he interviewed the eyewitnesses to compose his story. With this particular detail, I wonder how the interview went with Mary and Joseph when they asked him, hey, when do you plan to go and interview the shepherds? Shepherds? Why would I go and interview the shepherds? What do you mean shepherds? What do they have to do with all this? It must have seemed unimaginable to Luke at first when Mary and Joseph told him, oh, by the way, you've got to go and talk to the shepherds. The shepherds that showed up after Jesus was born. Boy, do they have a story to tell you. It is simply amazing. Interviewing shepherds during the time the Savior of the world was born was probably not at the top of Luke's list. And yet their account, their account here in the Christmas story is one of the greatest because from their experience, we learn the song of the angels. And this is another one of those examples that we find in scripture of how God uses the most unlikeliest of people to tell his grand story of redemption. We live in a day and age where every, every message that's coming to you from the world says you need to be important, you need to be well-known, you need to be an influencer. And that's not the way that God normally works, is it? Here, the Christmas story, the song of the angels came to the shepherds, some of the lowest in society at the time. This chorus of heaven that is recorded for us here in Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verse 14, it gives you and I this brief moment, this preview into this reality that we cannot fully see or understand right now. As the, the heavens must have been torn open and as they saw the multitude of angels, they saw the Lord God Almighty in all his supreme and cosmic glory as the angels sang Gloria in excelsis Deo. In this scene, the curtain of heaven was drawn back just a little to show us the heavenly realms 
And the shepherds witnessed a glimpse into the periphery of the glory of God in heaven. In heaven, right now, God is in his full eternal glory. And he is being praised by armies and armies of angels. And what do we learn about these angels and what they're doing right now? They are singing. They are singing. The angels are giving glory, honor, and praise to God who is and who was and who always will be. The message of Christmas, the good news of Christmas, it should cause us to sing. It is the proper response to the good news of great joy that a Savior, Christ the Lord, has been born. And so this is the third song that we come to in our Advent sermon series on the music of Christmas. This song is called by, commonly by its Latin name, the Gloria. We will sing, we've sung before, Gloria in excelsis Deo. That's the, the Latin form of this song. And so that's how it's uh, known for. And it's properly known as the Gloria because it's the only res response. Glory to God in the highest. It's the only response to the incarnation that heaven came to earth. The heavenly host, the armies and armies of angels were doing one thing and one thing only at the birth of Christ. They were singing. They were singing, multitudes singing, glory to God in the highest. I mean, how beautiful was that, that, that chorus that was just sung, Noel. Imagine that a million times more glorious with what the shepherds saw and the angels sung. And so there's some lessons for you and I to learn from the angel song. And I'd like for us to look at three of them here. Three important lessons from the angel song. The first thing that we learn is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Secondly, Jesus is to be glorified. And third, Jesus brings peace. Let's look at these three lessons. First lesson, Jesus is God. So what an awesome display of the glory of God in, 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 in heaven that we see here by the angels. And so what was it that occasioned such an awesome display of God's glory by the heavens being torn open and the shepherds getting to see the angels? What was it that would cause such a thing to happen? It was the incarnation. The birth of the Messiah, the Son of God, come in the flesh, Christ the Lord. That is what we chiefly learn about this song from the angels is that Jesus is, a God, is God. That the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, was born in a manger. This is a very important truth for us to celebrate and for us to understand here at Christmas time. It is the reason why we make such a big deal about Christmas is this fact that God became a man. It's a very important truth for us to understand and learn and celebrate and rejoice because all our hopes, all our dreams, all the promises of the Bible that God has made hang on this truth that God has come in the flesh to save us. We learn this from other places in Scripture. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus is the image 
of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It was the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, his incarnation. That is what caused the heavens to rip open in real time, in real space, in real history, to show forth the magnificent praise of heaven. The incarnation, God becoming flesh, it's one of the most wonderful things to ever happen because communion with God and man is now possible because God became flesh. The angels worshiped God in the flesh. We learn from the scriptures that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And that he's even better than this amazing uh, scene of the angels singing and giving glory to God. His glory was even more awesome than what the shepherd witnessed that day. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1. This is how the writer of Hebrews begins the letter. He says, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Man, the writer of Hebrews packs a lot in a few verses there. Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, far superior to the angels. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hell, the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald, angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. This is what occasioned the angels' praise. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God come to us. Jesus is God. And so I think this is so important for us not to forget this during the season as we celebrate Advent, as we focus on the Christmas message. Have you considered that Jesus is God and what that means for salvation? Have you considered that Jesus is God and what that means for your salvation? As you ponder that and think about that, Listen to this quote from D.A. Carson. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. And so he sent us 
a Savior. God sent us a Savior. Christmas did not first come to kings or queens of the earth, nor did it come to the priest and the ultra-religious. came to the ragtag shepherds, and they witnessed the most wonderful thing in the world, heaven being revealed to them at the birth of a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, Emmanuel, God with us. God, come to us. We need to remember that this Christmas. The second lesson we learn from the angels, Gloria, is that Jesus is to be glorified. He's to be glorified. Glory to God in the highest. In one form or another, every song that we've studied so far in, these, in this music of Christmas teaches us that Christmas is about praise. All glory, praise, and honor and worship belong to God and God alone. The proclamation of the angel is now met with the praise from the angel armies of heaven, singing glory to God and the highest. Think about this. It was the angels that first and foremost taught us that Jesus is to be praised and glorified. The angels taught us this. Angels, not men. Angels are beings, they have not sinned. They do not need a savior. And yet the very first hymn of praise to God in the flesh, to the baby lying in the manger, was sung by the angelic armies of heaven. You know, people have interesting fascinations about angels and what they do and what they don't do. The scriptures are very clear at the angels' participation in the Christmas story and what they came to do. They're special messengers from God. And their sole purpose is to give praise and honor and glory to God. But they're not God. They're not omniscient. They don't know everything. They don't know the mind of God. And yet they are fascinated with this Christmas story. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we find this very interesting detail that Peter records about the angels as God's grand plan of salvation, as how he's going to work out this saving mankind thing. How is this plan going to come to fruition? Peter records that even the angels, they long to look into this and to know what God is doing and what God's plan of salvation is. They're curious. And yet, what do they do at the birth, at the incarnation? The angels teach us to praise. Glory to God in the highest. As the psalmist has said, praise him, praise him. All his angels, praise him. All ye heavenly hosts, praise him. Glory to God in the highest. Think about that for a moment. Glory to God in the highest. The highest degree of glory that God had manifested on earth up until that time was the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. Think about that. Greater than creation, greater than the flood, 
greater than the pillars of fire, greater than the return of Israel, greater than anything we can think of that had happened in the history of the world up to this time. The greatest thing was the birth of his one and only son. The incarnation, God made flesh, God stooping down, God becoming low, God who was rich beyond all splendor, he became a man. And this was to manifest his supreme glory unto all the world. Listen to John Calvin on this praise that is due to God. He says, when God makes us glad and shows his favor, we cannot remain passive. Joy should move and provoke us to give him glory. For he has drawn us out of the pit of death and brought us into the kingdom of life in order that, as Peter says, we should praise him forever. We should praise him forever. And so at Christmas, we celebrate Christ's birth, but we do this first and foremost by glorifying him, by praising him, by worshiping Christ, the newborn king. The angels, they were the original carolers of Christmas. The ones who have much to teach and to show humanity, especially in this area of praising and glorifying God, they teach us about the joy of Christmas. J.C. Riles states that the one who hopes to dwell in heaven should have some experimental acquaintance with the language of its inhabitants. In other words, for those of you who were not singing earlier, I could see you up here. You better loosen those pipes up because if you hope to dwell in heaven, we need to get get on board with the chorus. Glory to God in the highest. That is the language of heaven. And so may we join in this course of heaven, enter into this rich meaning of the Gloria and may our hearts subscribe to the supreme glory to God in the highest. Oh, we can look to Revelation and see more of this language, more of this music that we will join in one day. But the last lesson we will look at here in this Gloria is that Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings peace. Glory to God in the highest. The angels did say and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. If you think about those words for a moment, there's a hint of of judgment in there. There's an implication being made by the fact that God brings peace. Because what is being implied here is that all is not well. The peace that the Christmas gospel brings, it's not for everyone. It's peace with those whom he is well pleased. So what is this peace that is being spoken of here? Well, the Bible would define peace as the nature of our salvation. It's the blessing that comes to us when God and man are reconciled. We have peace. And this is what the Christmas message brings. It's what it teaches us. That perfect peace between sinful man and a holy God has been accomplished By the work of the Savior. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore since we have been justified by faith. 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to teach in Colossians, for in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of the cross. And so not until we have peace with God can we even begin to know peace at all. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, thereby making peace by his bloodshed on the cross. All the more reason to praise and to magnify God to think about the reason that Christ was born as he was born to die as a sacrifice. And so let me ask you, and I think this is worth us pondering this time of year. Are you finding yourself restless these days? Do you feel restless? Do you want peace? How many of us have said that? What do you want for Christmas? Some peace. <laughs> what is your hope for the world? World peace. <laughs> we all want peace. And if you desire peace, where are you looking for peace? Where do you think you're going to find this peace? Well, I can tell you where you need to start. It's in the incarnation. You look to Jesus. Know in Christ the peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus says, I do not give to you as the world gives to you. The peace that I give to you is from above. It is his peace that we need. All of our hopes, all of our dreams, all your problems, all your yearnings. The only answer, your only hope is peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to celebrate what has been called before a meal of peace. A meal of peace. A celebration meal that teaches us that the eternal peace that we long for and that we must have with God has been accomplished by the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he gave us this meal to remember that. The birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, it was all in view as the angels sang the Gloria. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's prepare our hearts now to revel in this peace that Jesus gives us. Pray with me. Merciful Father, in the good news of great joy, you have done far more than we could ask or imagine. We praise you for your grace upon grace that you have covered us with in this Christmas message. We thank you for the peace that you have accomplished between yourself and, and all those whom you have set your pleasure upon. Help us to sing and to be glad of this Christmas message. All glory to Christ in the highest. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen.